Setting up the 18th AFL franchise in a region not familiar with the code was never going to be easy. Strong leadership was going to be required to face the challenges that came along in the early years of growth and transformation. The Leaders podcast speaks with the people who've shaped this club and have helped play key roles the club has grown from not just a men's football team, but to now include an AFL women's side as well as Giants netball. When people speak of a football club, they often think of kicks and handballs, but the Giants have quickly grown to be so much more than that. Welcome to The Leaders. In this episode, award-winning journalist and Giants recruiter Emma Quayle sits down with the Giants Director of Coaching and AFLW Head Coach Alan McConnell, a man with a rich history in the game and one of the club's first employees back in 2009. Alan McConnell, first ever Giants employee. I've heard that before, Emma. (laughs) Is it true? Uh, It might be, yeah. What does that get you? Like free coffees every day, or no, no, I think no lasting privileges. Um, just I've, I've had headaches longer than everybody else. Maybe <laughs> I, no, I have no idea what that means really. Tell me about the early days, being up here with a, a bunch of teenage kids, trying um, to kind of form an identity of a football club. Yeah, I think we probably even go back before the kids arrive. You know, around you know around um, training venues and. Um, facilities and all those sort of things you know um lots of frustrations because you're working with um with a lot of people who've never worked at an AFL club before so having having a sense of understanding of the standards um you know at one point there was a conversation around the fact that we might have a training venue at both Blacktown and Campbelltown (laughs) um to which I pointed out that would be a somewhat expensive exercise duplicating facilities and people thought it would be okay to just drive between the two venues yep so those sort of conversations were people just didn't know yeah it was quite frustrating yeah yeah how did you handle that frustration then because you'd come (laughs) up to Sydney obviously from from Melbourne you worked in worked in the VFL and you'd seen how clubs do things and you knew what professional was like I'm probably better to ask other people really to judge me on that front. I'm I'm sure I got cranky at times. Um, I guess I'm asking like, did your communication style have to change? Did you have to become more of an explainer or a teach um, teach people? What, I think what that's it was my nature. About. I think it's my nature anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what didn't come with that is frustrations. Um, um, and you know, I think when you're setting up something from scratch, you, you often think that the biggest frustrations will be those that you have with. Um, individuals or um, or um, groups from outside of the business, but in fact, they were the more challenging conversations were often those in the building rather than outside the building. Yeah, okay. Or with people outside of the building. Yep, yep, absolutely. And, and you know, if you if you then look at the playing group again, you know, um, um, yeah, a challenge. You know, our, our um, TAC Cup year was made up of a. Um, um, boys out of our zone both here and um from around the country yep um and uh, we also inherited some scholarship holders from other afl clubs um that's right and and a group of boys from sydney who aspired to be players um and they're all big fish in a little pond um sorry they're all little fish now in a bigger pond yeah um you know i recall that we were beaten about round four or five by about 15 goals 
And when I asked the boys to rate their performance out of uh, out of ten, um, most of them gave themselves a seven or eight, to which I then needed to go into a somewhat of a long-winded explanation around the fact that that meant that there wasn't really anybody accountable for the scoreline. Um, they'd had a few kicks, marks and handballs, so they thought they'd probably played their role. So there's a lot of education simply based on... Um, I guess an ignorance of what it takes. Yeah, and they didn't and know. Um, and um, again, I think it's my nature to n- nurture that. But that didn't come up without its challenges because um, they'd go back to their local clubs where they're big fish, and everybody thinks they're a walk-up start to play AFL footy. And of course, they're comparing themselves with that cohort rather than um, the the their peers from around the country. Yep. Yep. Okay. And then I guess you had. What kids, yeah, moving, relocating, dealing with being away from home, and um. yeah, we had uh, we had uh, four or five boys um, boarding at at Riverview. Yeah. Um, um, nobody with licences. Um, uh, uh, fairly limited um, staff and um, pro, you know b- program budget. Um, How many staff were there? In, uh, I think we I think we had. Um, well, f- from a pure football perspective, only a couple. Yeah. Um, full time, two full time, and the rest. Uh, sorry, three full time, and the rest were um, uh, part timers. So that's not that unusual. But given the challenges we had, um, um, with the fact that pretty much everybody came from out of town or had no understanding of standards, it was yeah, it was a stretch. Yeah. I think I, I think the other stretch was that I had heart, um, heart surgery. <laughs> In the oh, middle of all right. that, which uh, got a bit interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a fair bit going on at, at one time. Um, yeah, I ran a boot test with the players eight weeks post-surgery. That's pretty good. What so, did you get on it? What did you get on uh, it? I know, I pulled out about nine. <laughs> <laughs> Nine's still not bad. Yeah, for an old fella. <laughs> so do you reckon that there, that job asked very different things of you than your previous jobs in footy. I know you uh, worked with the AFL Academy and the elite kids in that program, but, yeah, at that point in your career, did, did you have to find some new ways of doing things? Uh, yes and no. I think um, um, if we sort of work backwards, obviously the AIS program and working back in the talent pathway um, presented some of the problems in terms of player management. You know, young boys sort of aspiring to be to be great and not really understanding either what that meant or the implications for them and the skill set they needed to to, um, to uh, achieve that. Um, um, if we go back to Geelong, I think, um, you know, I learnt a great deal at Geelong because it was the early days of the building of their dynasty. Yep. Um, you know, under Mark Thompson, Brian Cook. Um, you know, I learned a lot of really good lessons there about what it takes to build a a great club and um, and prior to that the Fitzroy experience um, probably taught me the resilience around um, um, working in an environment that's under-resourced. Yep. Um, Fitzroy was bad and getting worse on, and on the flip side of that we were um, bad and gradually getting better but both were really um, challenging. Requ- they required an ability to um, um, find ways around challenges that um, you don't have in an established environment. Yep, yep, yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess you're right. With this one, there was there was light at the end of the, 
at the tunnel. Wasn't yeah, there? yeah, like, absolutely, yeah. Whereas there probably wasn't. At the end, there wasn't. There. Yeah, no, none at <laughs> no, all in the no end. No light. Yeah. <laughs> Go to the lines, and there's the siren. The end of an era, the end of an age for Fitzroy. <laughs> They've been soundly defeated here by the new kids on the on the block, the Fremantle Dockers. Some tears, some players sitting down and openly crying here at Subiaco Oval. They've been beaten by 86 points, Fitzroy, in their last ever game. How's it been for you to watch some of the the kids that came to the club in the, in the first year or two uh, um, grow up and yeah, become that, the players they are now. Yeah, you know, there's lots of interesting stories. Um, you know, uh, and many of them have played out in other environments, you know, from those very early years. You know, Josh Bruce, um, Jacob Townsend, yep. who's now a premiership player, who actually didn't relocate to Sydney, for example, but um, commuted from Leeton. Um, you know, we got, we got sort of mid-season and had to give him a few weeks off because he's playing and travelling horrendous hours. Um, yeah. I'm sure it wasn't great for his schooling. Um, um, you know, so... Um, he had th- there's lots, really, aren't there? Because Jed, Jed yeah. Anderson was one of the NT yeah, boys. Yeah, indeed, and he's had a different journey. Like, he's, yep. he's um, been and gone and come, come again. And um, yeah, and um, it's interesting, um, you know, uh, everybody take gets their in their own way and, and in their own time. And, you know, even Alex Carey, who um, yeah. who I talked into um, giving up cricket as a 17-year-old um, and then talked him into giving it up again to come here to play in our TAC Cup yep. um, year. Uh, and then the disappointment of missing out and now he's, you know, in the, you know an Australian cricketer. So, um, you know, I'd like to think that their experiences are all helped you know, yeah. develop who they are, but um, yeah. So it's, it, the, I guess the reflections are, are very depending on the individual. Yeah, and the way that you have like coach them and talk to them. I know you've said you're yeah you, you've got that sort of background in the educational stuff is probably what comes naturally to you. But is there a difference dealing with coaching men and coaching boys? Um. Not really. Yeah. Not really. <laughs> I never grow up. Uh, no, I, you said that, Emma. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I think that um, the the current generation of young people want to know why. Yep. And so you need to be able to articulate why, and sometimes you need to be able to articulate it in many different ways, because not everybody sees it exactly the same way you do. Yep. Um. So. Uh, so. Th- the why I think is pretty important, no matter what age they are, and yeah. you know, um, and uh, and in fact, sometimes at the really pointy end, um, the why becomes um, more challenging to explain because if you're already a good player, um, then what what's the need? As opposed to one who's not playing, what then why why is there a need to do it differently? So yep. you, you you need to perhaps be um, yeah, it's it's harder sometimes at that point you're in than it is. Yeah. At the really pointy end than it is maybe with a player who's a fair way off. Yep. Okay. What do you remember of Phil and Cal when they got up here and were given were given the captaincy together? Um, what were they like as, as twenty year olds, twenty one year olds? Um 
I, I think they were amazing. But it, but equally at the same time, I think we gave them a massive challenge. You yeah. know, like Phil's played 15 or 16 games, um, had a great, a strong self-belief. Um, but really, um, I'm sure in his own mind there was there's noise yeah. <laughs> because when you haven't played for a, a, a long well, time... you're a young player and you're, you're a really young player. And you've also battled a, a, a history of injury. Yep. Even prior to getting into the um, competition... Um, you know, you you um, you um, yeah, you you battle your own demons, not just. Uh, and I, I guess because in Phil's case, he's appointed the captain. He needs to appear to be strong to his um, teammates, and um, so I think in some ways it's possible that that would, you know, in a lot of ways it fast tracked his development. But in yeah. other ways, in terms of his own personal performances, it had the potential to um, to. Um, be an impediment. Yeah. In Kel's case, um, I think Kel's nature um, um, probably helped him enormously. He's, you know, he, he's um, he's always going to be Kel Ward. He, yeah. he can't be anything else. So um, um, he he probably didn't um, struggle with. Um, where he sat quite so much because he played a little bit more. He was more established, wasn't he? He, he was a little bit more established, um, but probably a bit more uncomfortable with the limelight, you know. Yeah. Um, um, but, yeah, I think they've just done an amazing job with it. And, and it's been fabulous to watch them grow and I was going to say, yeah, it must have been fascinating. Have they brought things out in each other, do you think, in doing that job together for such uh, a well, long look time? At, look, at, if I just finish, you know, finish the last little piece, even in yep. the last 12 months the change in the two of them you know um Kel's capacity to talk about his own vulnerabilities for somebody who probably isn't comfortable in that space and and Phil to um Phil to um um find different ways to um for somebody who's pretty black and white to find different ways to um reach out to the playing group and and interact with um those people um uh, in administrative and you know significant roles around the club has been fabulous to watch. Yeah, yeah. Do you find you can see those qualities in them early on? I, I always find it interesting, especially sort of working in the recruiting area, and you'll get you'll find a lot of kids who will say, oh, "I'm a good leader," but they can't tell you why. It's just that other people have said to them, "You're a good leader." Mm. Um, I think people have different views of what leadership is. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I've had people say to me, "Oh, so you know," particularly when I was working in the AS program, I'd have people would say to me, "Oh, so and so is a great leader," and I would have a different view. They certainly had a lot to say, but it didn't necessarily mean they lead. Maybe the, the lot to say was to cover their own vulnerability. Yep. Um, I just wonder if you can see it in them early on. Uh, I think. Look, to be honest, I think leopards don't change their spots; they get bigger or smaller. Okay. You are so who you are. You are who you are, um, and that doesn't mean that you can't enhance your strengths and yep. and challenge or or modify your vulnerabilities. But you are who you are, and um, yeah, I think. Well, if you try not to be, you're probably not destined to actually lead, are you? If um, well, I, I, I think the truth is that everybody, on some level, influences the group. Yep. Everybody is a leader in some form. That you may lead in the right way or the wrong way. You may, you know, um, uh, yeah. You, everybody, everybody within the environment, in some way, influences the culture of the group. So it's never owned by one or two individuals, certainly some shape it more than others, 
but uh, the reality is it's um, everybody's going to have some influence on what it looks like. Yeah, players and otherwise. Exactly, yeah. Time for a quick break on the Leaders podcast to talk about Giants of Business. This exciting new project is part of the Giants commercial program, focusing on making connections and business referrals across the Giants corporate partner network. The Giants have a strong portfolio of blue chip corporate and community partners, with this program making it easier to connect than ever before. Through a range of events and strategic introductions, the Giants of Business program is an opportunity not to be missed. For more information, contact Anthony Butler at the Giants. His details are available in the description of this podcast. Now back to the leaders. What about the way that this club has evolved over the time? From what you remember of it, setting up that that tap cup team, just forming an identity and a, an idea of just what it is and what it stands for. Um, have there been any key moments in in that for you? And I guess those early decisions you made were were probably pretty crucial to. to I, that. I think that um, I think that um, um, the the club was always established to try and win games, but more particularly, it's established to um, to um, grow the game and have a presence in this in this space. And um, I think I feel that responsibility perhaps more than others because of my time yep. in the environment. Um, you know, I, I think it's particularly important that everybody, when you're trying to build a club, it takes, it takes football players and coaches and administrators, but it takes sponsors and um, um, coterie groups and... Um, supporters and members and um, I think my view is that yeah, you have a greater responsibility to make sure that everybody that the club touches has a good experience they may not rust on yeah. but they may talk they to might. somebody else they might but also yeah. they, they're likely to at some point they'll interact with others around them about the, the, the positivity or otherwise of the interaction they've had with the football club and, and or the people in it. And, um, and so um, when you've got a small base, you need to make sure you've got as many advocates as you can for your footy footy club. And, yeah. and still today, I think that's true, which, which is part of the reason why I think our netball team and our AFL women's team are so critical to, to the overall um, growth of this football club. Yeah. Because they give us another connection to this community Yep. that we wouldn't have without them. Yeah. Yep. Tell me about coaching the women's team. You came in for season two? Mm-hmm. Yep. What were you thinking the job would be like when you were first asked to Oh, I had a little bit of an on? I had a little bit of an idea simply because um, you know, I'd had a bit of a, a few touch yep. points in year one. Um, I didn't quite understand how it might be possible with what I was doing with the men's team. Um and there's still days when I'm <laughs> sure it's not ideal. Yeah. Um, uh, it's more consuming than um, than I think anybody imagined it was going to be. Yep. Um, it's um, it's a bit like 
going back to the future. You know, it's not unlike in many ways um, my time at Fitzroy when I first went there where I, I was a part-time coach. Yeah. All bar two or three people Players. were part-time administrators yeah. or coaches. The strength and conditioning coach was part-time. The players were part-time. Um, and everything happened after hours. Um, yep. So it's a bit like back to that time. And, in fact, when I played VFL football, I worked all day and Rock trained and training. played at night. So, um, so it's also my playing experience at this level, um, which just tells you I'm a bit older than everybody else. <laughs> um, so I think that all helped yep. um, in terms of giving me insight. I've done a lot of different things. I think that helped. Um, um, so what surprised you about it then? Is it, th- is it that, the fact that it's... I don't think what anything. You rem- what you remember, or um, no? I think what surprised me is how passionate I became very quickly about wanting the girls to be successful. Yeah. Why did that happen? It's like, well, um, look, I think um, our playing list is, you know, it's well documented. They're they're more diverse than any other team. We come from a much greater, what much wider demographic, both geographically and from a, an age perspective yep. than most teams. Um, and uh, so our girls are making much bigger sacrifices and you know, I see on a daily basis those sacrifices without the support network around them that, um, that uh, uh, others are afforded. And um, you know, I think they deserve everything they can get for the commitments that they're making. Yeah. Yeah, there's sort of sacrifices involved to to be here and do it yeah and, and it, not least of which is a financial one you know yep you put careers on hold study on hold um you you often have financial commitments in two different cities in the country because you can't walk away from everything where you come from um uh, but equally you have to be able to survive where you are so yeah, okay how's it different coaching the women's teams coaching coaching the men um, or coaching women to coaching men? Um, um, uh, you know, I've said this before, and, and it is um, it is a generalisation, but equally I think it's true. I think that um, um, when guys play well, they feel like they belong. And when girls belong, they're more likely to play well. Okay, yep. So um, I think that is true. I, th- I think that um, you know, there are exceptions to that, obviously, but in general terms, I think that's true. And so therefore, um, um, uh, you know, that, that influences the need to have, I think relationships are everything, but I think they're even more crucial in the women's space. Um, I think that uh, um, the women learn a little bit differently. Um, they're not as kinesthetic as the guys mm. are they don't have to have necessarily done it to be able to get it yep it must have been interesting like to to take it on and figure out all this new stuff as you go and with as you said with athletes who have have made sacrifices to be here it's not yeah like you can have them at your beck and call yeah. like yeah. all day every day yeah and and sometimes the, you know because there's a different level of power and strength the, the game is a little bit different yep so there are you know sometimes i might need to temper my own frustration because it doesn't quite work how it should yeah um 
You know, and I think that's true um, across the country. When you know people make criticisms about the competition, but the reality is that um, you know you um, it's harder to get the ball out into the space in an effective manner simply because of the difference in power and strength. You know, the kick into space um, in the men's game might be 30, 40, 50 metres long, where it's it might be only 25 in the women's game. So in effect, getting the ball clear of the junk isn't as easy. Um, it's got nothing to do with skill level. It's just power and power. speed. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Has it made you think a bit differently then? About, um, even about game style and what, you know, what, uh, you, what you want to do? Yeah, I, I've prob- I probably... Yeah. Do I think differently about the men? I'm not... I don't know. I, about the men's game? I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Um... I'm probably a bit clearer after a year about what will work and won't, what won't. Yep. Um, okay. But the reality is I think you still have to have a style of football that's, um, that's consistent with the playing list you're coaching. Yeah. And that varies yeah. as it has evolved with our men's team. Okay. What's, what makes Amanda a good captain? Um, she's a great human being. Yep. Um, she's not our best player by any means, but she's, um, you know, she's a very, very good player in this competition and had a, a great 2018. Um, um, but she has poise. She she um, articulates her thoughts exceptionally well. Um, she's passionate about the game. She's passionate about um, um, the club. She's passionate about the team. She's passionate about her teammates. Um, and she's got good personal values, so pretty good traits. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. As you said, you are who you are. Yes, indeed. And that's, yeah, that's what she's kind of shown, isn't it? It must be so interesting to see who, yeah, who comes through. We spoke about Phil and Cal, but you've seen so many others, like Cogs and, yeah, and Josh yeah. come in and... Yeah, it, yeah. And... and and I've got no doubt those guys could or will at some point captain yeah you know be captains of the club um they uh again they're all different you know Stephen is you know is a real connector um Phil on the other hand you know is more likely to challenge yep um um that doesn't mean they don't play the opposite roles um but um yeah they again they are who they are uh, and it's what's right for your team in a given moment in its development that is sort of um, an interesting um, conundrum. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess what's happening now is as Phil and Cal get a bit older, um, how important is it yeah, for them to be passing on that idea of what the club stands for and how it does things to the next, the next batch? Well, I think one of the things that's... Um, that's really evolved for both of them is a, is a real depth of understanding of um, how the club is bigger than everything else. And I think that's abundantly clear in how they carry themselves, yep. which is part of the, why, the reason why they're great leaders. You know, they really care about, about the team and their teammates and the footy club, and I think they care about the game. And, um, um, yeah, they, they, they both show that in different ways, but it's abundantly clear, although it's probably never spoken about. Yeah. What's your favourite story from the early days? Give me a good one to to wrap it up with. Oh, I think the first game was... Yeah? 
yeah, quite exceptional, you know. Um, I took a moment to walk out. The first AFL game? Yeah, yeah. Yep. I walk, took a moment to walk out and down the race and watch them run out on my own. Yeah. A little bit self-indulgent maybe, but, <laughs> um, you know, there were lots of times where I'm thinking, how the hell is this ever going to work? Really? Like, oh, God, yeah. You know, yeah. Like, um, when you're training on baseball diamonds and... Um, uh, and other things which have been well articulated, I'm sure, by lots of other people at other times. It, yeah, there are moments when you go, are we going to be able to... Actually, uh, a, are we going to get there? And B, when we get there, are we actually going to be able to compete? Even even getting there was... And, yeah. and like, wow, we kicked the goal. Backing out, opportunity for Ward on his non-preferred side. The first goal kicker for the GWS is their co-captain, Callum Ward. Yeah. <laughs> um... Um, and then we kicked more goals, and you know, like I, I was really, I was really proud of what we put up that night. Yeah. Um, we put up a good show. And what, um, what were you thinking in that moment when you stood there? Um, I was pretty proud. Because yeah. I, um, you know, the games afforded me a great living and a great life, and to be part of something that fell apart, and then something that's. The opposite to that is um, pretty special. Yeah. It must be, yeah. Even even thinking about leadership and, and who stood up in that time at Fitzroy must have, like, to think back on that must be interesting. Like, under that sort of duress, who, yeah, who um, toughed it out, who led yeah, the way? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it was an interesting time. You know, I think everybody thought, particularly at the very end, yeah, I think people thought that what would happen is that once a merger was announced, it would unite the playing group, and they, and in fact, the opposite probably happened. Uh, yep. they, it sort of went the other way. You know, over those last couple of games were just um, um, a huge challenge to be a part of. Like it was exhausting. And I think in hindsight, I probably didn't look after myself terribly well. Okay. You know, I spent too much. Well, my brief was really to look after other people. I'm not sure that I looked after myself as well as, as I should have in all of that. Because there was just so much to think about. Well, there was. About. There was. You know, like, um, you know, we, we had a group of players who um, who had contracts that were um, were uh, sort of knew their destiny and um, um, and the, and the comfort that that provided. Um, we had a group of old blokes who probably figured their time was over and were pretty cynical about the whole thing. Um, and we had a group in the middle who really had, you know, with a huge age range, yep. um, with not really much idea of what was coming next. So there was uncertainty. And uh, yeah, uncertainty, which, um, and and that uncertainty sort of can drive self-interest a little bit. So um, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty tough time. And you know, it's a to. Um, and you're trying to bring them together when they all know the end is coming. Yeah, yeah. So, and like to be asked to do a lap of honour on the MCG after being beaten by 180 points, yeah. like, you, you, um, it's not an experience you want to feel because the, the humiliation of performing in front of 80,000 plus people so ineptly, and then be asked to walk around the boundary line, um, it's like it doesn't get much worse no. than that. It was, uh, and. Um, the jumpers needed to go around the boundary. They just needed 
didn't uh, need, didn't need people inside the, the jumpers who have emotions and feelings. And, that was it. It was and, the jumper, and, really, and pride. Yeah, and I understand exactly why the jumper needed to go around the boundary, but um, yeah, but the people in it didn't. Yeah. Yeah, and was this a bit? Was this a bit the opposite? There were those really tough days early, but good yeah, was, was going to come that's of it. hundred percent. Yeah, look, um, the end of year two was probably the toughest. Yep. Um, you know when it's like we When's got to about around eighteen or nine, and we need to stop the bus. Yeah. We, we need to just park the bus for a bit and um, reconnect and um, reload and go again. And, but and I think from that time on. You know, the, the growth of the club has been, from a performance perspective, has been um, really, a, you know, we've had a couple of disappointments in the last couple of years come finals time, but the growth of the club um, from a performance perspective and the consistency of the team over that time has been um, pretty remarkable, I think. What happened at that time then? The end of that second year? <sighs> well, um... That was just, what are we doing? <laughs> the truth is we probably over-exceeded in year one yep. and then under-exceeded in year two. Um, but when you look at the demographic of the list, what else you would expect, yeah. I'm not too sure. But it just wasn't going to happen of its own accord. Not the way we'd put a list together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With so many young players. Yeah. Yeah, I think some of them have spoken about that. Cog, I remember speaking to Cogs about it and that was a point where it's like... If we want to stop losing these games, like we're the actual ones who are going to have to do something about it. Yeah. Maybe it was when that first latched on and really started to care about. Well, about see, the club. see the other thing that the other thing that happens, and this is this I learnt this at Fitzroy when you give when the, your good players leave, that means the players under them get games, and if you get games and you're not necessarily either ready for them or deserve them, what it does is it. It reinforces the notion you don't need to change too much because in the end you've been given the you've panacea. The, yeah. That is the game every, at the end of every week. And so it can be both um, a development opportunity in, the, in terms of an experience, but it can also be a huge impediment to, to um, driving change. So there's a constant wrestle there in those early days around um, game time versus, um, you know, tough love. Yeah. Getting that balance right and yeah, and that's and very very difficult in a startup when they're all so young. So like, someone's got to play. Yeah, yeah, somebody's got to play. Yeah, and 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 the reality is when you're also trying to build a club, if you get belted like badly belted week after week, you're actually it's not just the the ladder that looks bad; it's actually everything else. I mean, we've got administrators trying to sell blue sky. Yeah. Um, you know, marketing people trying to sell Blue Sky, you make everybody, everybody's job is so much harder. So, you know, the courage that people had in the administration in those days to stick tough with what we were doing, I think, um, is not well enough documented, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to, to be trying to sell, well, sell to people who didn't know the game. Yeah. And, and if you go back two years or three years to when, the, you know, the clubs first announced... You know, people are talking about this needing to be a generational journey and three or four years in, people have forgotten that it's supposed to be a generational journey, you know, which did, that does, that does frustrate me from time, even now, you know, like, you know, you, you see in social media people laughing at our crowd sizes and laughing at our membership base and um, if they really knew 
understood where we've come from and where we're trying to get to and the demog- and, and where we are in the landscape in Australian sport, um, there might be a little bit more empathy, but it's a competitive boost, so it is what it is. It is, and you're right, people have short memories. Yeah. Mm. Are you proud of what you what you did in the early days to get get this club sort of on the tr- on the track it's on? Yeah, I am proud. I'm proud of the football club. I'm proud of I'm proud of it because I like the way it does it does mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I'd fi- I think I'd find it hard to be as committed as I am if it wasn't for that. Um, I question sometimes where I get too attached to that because uh, um, there's an emotive element to it. Um, uh, yeah, I sort of there's a bit of it where I feel like it's my footy club, and you best not muck this up or do it the wrong way. Because I want to win, but I want to win the right way too. You know, I want to win because not because we've got lucky, but because we're quite special and and because um, people people esteem us for the way we've done it. Yeah, that all sounds good to me. Thank you very much. Back to work. Thanks for listening to The Leaders. If you're not already a Giants member, head to membership.gwsgiants.com.au to sign up today. There's a package to suit everyone. And make sure to subscribe to The Leaders so you don't miss next week's episode featuring Giants netball head coach Julie Fitzgerald.